traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. In the squadron, they called him Bullets. But we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hello. I told you. I And I think I'm right. It's going to happen in that Donald Trump will not be indicted. He hasn't been indicted yet. Sorry, you know that thing he says? He's always right. This is the one time. Do me a favor. Play cut 13. We have that little, little nifty little package. Cut 13. Ultimately, I'm always right. Except this time. He said he was going to be arrested on Tuesday. And it's not happened yet because they saw the light. They heard the truth from Bob Costello, they needed somebody to go in there and throw cold water on this case and tell them all that Michael Cohen, just use your brains. He's an idiot, he's a moron, and he's a liar. And here's proof that he's a liar. Bob Costello, uh, former prosecutor, longtime defense attorney, and oh, by the way, he had a uh, very instrumental role in bringing to light the Hunter Biden laptop. Um, not that he went looking for it, but kind of, Fell into his lap, literally, and uh, Bob Costello was the hero of this. Now, what did they do? They they uh, canceled it until further notice. Um, a lot of things are going on, I think, behind the scenes. Number one, the case is meritless. Uh, they knew that, but now they really know it. Um, a lot of assistant district attorneys thought this was bogus, and um, well, you just can't you just can't ignore this guy Bob Costello. You can try to minimize him. You can try to bring in other witnesses to say, "Oh, uh, listen to this guy, not that guy." But I don't know. There was something about when he took to the microphone after his testimony earlier this week, and I said, mm, "I think this is over." Cut fourteen, please. Cut fourteen. I am honoring my ethical obligation. I've listened to Michael Cohn stand in front of the courthouse and say things that are directly contrary to what he said to us. My obligation is to bring the truth to both the district attorney and to Trump's lawyers. That's exactly what I did. Uh, fantastic. I love it. I love it. Have you heard of anybody talk about their ethical obligations? When's the last time you heard anybody talk about ethics? Uh, that is very, very refreshing, very, very powerful. And uh, I'm just so glad. You know, very few people have guts these days. You know, they just... They they play it safe. They see which way the wind is blowing. You know, they're always in. To actually put your neck out like he did, that's really special. And uh, Bob Costello, uh, a great public service. Now, don't worry. They are going to say, well, this is uh, this is not what it's all about, right? This is this is not the the case. The case is the uh, Georgia election. Yeah, that's the one you got to worry about. Uh, let's see the Georgia election. Which is a, which is a fake case. Cut eighteen, please. Cut eighteen. I think it's fair to say. I think everybody would agree that the Georgia and uh, DOJ investigations are much more serious than this one. And they believe if they focus on this, it then diminishes the impact of the two more serious cases that are hanging over his head: the investigation in Georgia over election interference. 
Yeah, uh, that's just not true. It's just uh, the case in Georgia is actually a lot easier to understand than this campaign finance slash uh, in-kind contribution. What was it? It's it's a little it's simple, but it's complicated at the same time. This whole Stormy Daniels thing. Um, but the Georgia one, I mean, you are allowed if you are running for an office, you are allowed if you don't like the results to say, I don't like the results. And I know they're out there. You guys haven't counted all the votes. You got to find those votes. I know they're out there. You got to find those votes. All I need are this many votes to win. That's a statement of fact. He wanted more votes. He urged them to look for those votes. He didn't say make them up. He didn't say create them out of uh, thin air. You're allowed to do that. It actually comes down to something of a uh, perhaps a freedom of speech uh, matter, a freedom of speech matter. All right. So. Uh, what else do we want to get to? Hey, are you watching this TikTok stuff? Uh, TikTok is a dangerous, dangerous thing. It's incredibly addictive. It's incredibly stupid. Um, it just it's, uh, Listen to this, and I'll try to tell you what's happening. Cut 28, please. Cut 28. All right, bad words and a plump woman dancing in the most lewd and vulgar way. 100 million views. On TikTok, uh, what is it? Perhaps I'm too old. Perhaps, uh, perhaps I'm too smart. Perhaps I'm too dumb. I don't get TikTok. I don't want to get TikTok. Uh, the people I believe say it is a threat to national security. I know this. Um, the head of TikTok, his name is Shu Zi Chu, and guess what? He doesn't let his own kids go on TikTok. Uh, a lot of these tech guys, yeah, they keep the kids off the off the screens. Sixty minutes. Often fake news, but I applaud them for this in-depth report they did on TikTok. Listen to how China treats the platform compared to us. Cut 29, please. Cut 29. The version that's served to Chinese consumers, called Douyin, is very different from the one available in the West. In their version of TikTok, if you're under 14 years old, they show you science experiments you can do at home, museum exhibits, patriotism videos and educational videos and they also limit it to only 40 minutes per day now they don't ship that version of tiktok to the rest of the world there's a survey of preteens in the u.s and china asking what is the most aspirational career that you want to have and the u.s the number one was influencer social media influencer and in china the number one was astronaut isn't that incredible and isn't that tragic America, we went to the moon, first in space, actually second in space, right behind Russia, first to the moon. Um, now we can't even go into outer space on our own. Well, I get, no, I take that back. We were dead there for a couple of years, no space shuttle. And now we have SpaceX or Space Y or, I don't know, that little dinky rocket. But it's good. It's go- And we're going to go to the moon, I think, the year after next, maybe, if we're lucky. Um, we're good, but you notice nobody really ever talks about uh, the space program. That guy's right. It's all about being an influencer. Does it influence what? It doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter. Just be influential. Just have millions of followers. That's what it's all about in America these days, just to be famous. And, you know, if everybody's famous, no one's famous, really. I, I, I look at the New York Post, and I see these names of, you know, so-and-so is dating so-and-so, and they're upset about such-and-such, and I have no idea. I've never heard the names before. 
Uh, Josh Smith, is that supposed to be somebody? Is that, it sound, I, I don't know, but he's all over the thing. And uh, Addison uh, Ray, they were dating, and now they had a big fight at a restaurant in Los Angeles, and it looks like it could be over. And somebody was jealous of some girl named Bella. I don't know who these people are. I, I know names change, but we used to have a name like, Oh, I don't know, uh, Liz Taylor, right? Everybody in the world knew who was Liz Taylor, right? Whether you were 80 or 8 years old, you knew. And that is, that's like a cultural, what do you call it, a t- cultural touchstone. It, it bound us a little bit. We, have a, we had a culture. We had a way of doing things. We had common reference points, ways to connect. How do you connect with uh, with somebody you know, who's uh, younger and perhaps a different whatever. I, I don't know if there is. And now we're so hung up on what's on the outside, it doesn't even, why would you even want to connect with somebody who's different from you? Have you heard about the NHL? National Hockey League. League. I mean, what could be more uh, asexual than hockey? You go to a hockey game, which I do maybe once every two or three years. I'm not a big hockey guy. I do enjoy it occasionally, very occasionally. I like seeing the Zamboni clean the ice. That's really neat. Um, I can't see the puck. That's the problem. The puck is too small. I have no idea. I marvel at their skating. But the last thing you're thinking about at a hockey game um, is uh, sexual activity, heterosexual activity, gay sexual activity. It's just just not on your mind, maybe because it's cold, maybe because uh, I don't know. It just doesn't. But that's supposed to it's – supposed, it's different now. It's different. The San Jose Sharks. Have you ever heard of them? Mm, I, I, I must say, San Jose has an NHL team. They're called the Sharks. And they had Pride Night. Pride Night. I remember Puck Night. I remember Puck Night at the Nassau Coliseum. Everybody went, got a puck. And now everybody who goes gets a Pride T-shirt with the colors, with the LGBTQ plus IA colors. Cut 36, please. Welcome to a great Saturday night in downtown San Jose. Tonight, the San Jose Sharks will play on Pride Night. Fabulous! You get the vibe, you get what's going down. They even put their uh, hockey sticks in Pride uh, colors. Hockey sticks. It has... I'm not saying... Pride's fine. I mean, actually, I don't think it is fine. I don't think you're supposed to take pride in... Would I take pride in being straight? Would I take pride in being a man? Would I take pride in that? No, because I was born that way, and that's that. It's fine. Um, I'm not ashamed of it, but I'm not proud of it because I didn't do anything to become those things. I get it to a point for a long time. The LGBTQ community had to keep their head down, had to keep quiet in the closet, so to speak, literally and figuratively. If they found out you were gay, uh, you could be in trouble at work. Can you believe that? I mean... Now, it's not that way anymore. We know that, and that's good. But now it feels like people are being penalized for being what they are. Say, like this goalie on the Sharks. His name is Reimer, James Reimer. And uh, like a handful of players, he wasn't down with uh, wearing the LGBTQ plus flag on his shirt. And wouldn't we, would he have ever dr- have dreamt that this was going to be a dilemma for him? How to wear the damn any flag. Wear the Sharks flag, the NHL flag, the American flag, but the pride flag? And this practicing Christian said, no thank you. Cut 37, please. Cut 37.
For all 13 years of my NHL career, um, I've been a Christian, not just in title, but in, in how I choose to live my life daily. Um, I have a personal faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins. And in this specific instance, I'm personally choosing not to endorse something, um, you know, a sexual uh, identity or orientation that is counter to my convictions, which are based in the Bible, um, which I consider the highest authority in my life. Wow, that's beautiful, powerful, and you just don't hear people speak like that very often. And for that, cancel him! <laughs> He's getting all kinds of hate all over the place. Uh, as you heard, he didn't say anything against anyone. He talked about his beliefs. And for the time being, you're allowed to do that. Even the Sharks had to acknowledge that. In the most peculiar, in my opinion, offensive statement, they put out how they are you know, big proponents of the LGBTQ community, and they promote engagement and allyship with LGBTQ. And we are so pride to, proud to support Pride Night, and it's wonderful. Meanwhile, we understand and accept that people have rights to express their religious beliefs. We understand and accept, as opposed to active and engagement and allyship with the LGBTQ+. Uh, folks... Uh, can't we just all get a fair shot and a fair shake, please? I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is serious, right? This is a former president for the first time in the history of this country who may be indicted. But if an indictment is brought here, this would be historic. This is incredibly significant. If there's an indictment of Donald Trump, it will be monumental, historic. An indictment of Trump would be significant and literally historic. Yeah, no kidding. They just come up with this stuff to take time. Yeah, we know it's never happened before, but they reiterate it and they say it again, try to make it seem very, very dramatic. Look, everything about Trump is big and dramatic and pretty much unprecedented. Uh, But I thought I would point out that um, this is not going to happen. I don't even think Trump's going to be indicted. But do you know how many world leaders have come back from uh, being arrested, even being thrown in prison, um, it, in in a way, it's a bit of a hallmark. It's a bit of a credential. Uh, there's a very long list. I just took the, the three big, big, big ones. Gandhi, uh, familiar with him? Who saw the movie? Ben Kins- Kinsley, remember that? It was the first movie I ever saw with the intermission. Uh, anyway, he uh, he spent like six years in jail before uh, or during his career and later became the most popular man in India. Well, not popular with everybody. Uh, Let's see here. Nelson Mandela was sentenced to life in prison, spent, what, two decades, and then got out and became the president of South uh, Africa. Václav Havel, remember him? Uh, Was it Yugoslavia? Czechoslovakia. He was in prison in Czechoslovakia. He was a poet. He was a writer. And got out and then became one of the worst presidents they ever had. But uh, he did become president of uh, what we now call the Czech Republic. Um, There is a big, big future for President Trump, no matter what happens. I do think he's going to be. Look, my hope is I'm not formally endorsing anybody. I don't do that. I'm not supposed to do that. I won't do that. But uh, I'm hoping he wins. I am. I was not. I mean, look, Ron DeSantis is a very talented guy. Uh. Did anybody see him with Piers Morgan? Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Looks like he needs a few more years, just a few more years to uh, get ready for the big leagues. Here's something. I've been thinking about this. Ron DeSantis went to Harvard and Yale, which is great. 
But to get into those schools, you you have to do a lot of things. You have to appeal to people with authority. You have to impress. You have to put your best foot forward and you appeal to those who can grant you admission. You have to appeal to the powerful, to the connected. And I kind of, watching that interview with peers, at least the clips, I feel like that's what he's done a lot of. And if you look at the message that he wrote to, who was it, Tucker Carlson on Ukraine, he was a little all over the map. You know, he was kind of sucking up to Tucker, and then he was disappointing some people. And I think it was really mostly about impressing Tucker Carlson. Uh, This whole thing where he defended kind of Donald Trump, but didn't really, and and it just was all over the map. No, you got to be, he doesn't know how to talk to the masses, basically. Uh, Yeah, I don't think he's good at that yet. He's not effective. He's always trying to impress those in power. And that can be very, very helpful to some degree if you're running for the Republican nomination. I mean, remember Jeb Bush? He was the man. He was the man. In 2013, 2014, and 2015, he was, he was the, it was all but assured that he was going to be, you know why, who liked him? Uh, the powerful people, the donors, they, they were just falling in line. What do they say? Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line. It used to be that way. Everything's backwards now. So I don't know. He could be a flash in the pan. And there's something else about DeSantis. He's losing weight. And that's great. He's healthy. He, quite frankly, looks better. But he looks younger, and somehow he looks less distinguished. This happens to people sometimes. You know who it happened to most famously? Who remembers Star Jones on The View? Star Jones on The View was about 300 pounds. And then she got that, um, I don't know if she got a, a gastro bypass or something, but they put a balloon in her stomach, and you know she got full after eating a peanut, and she lost about uh, 150 pounds. Well... She lost something when she lost all that weight. Her mojo. She lost her, her the, that special je ne sais what. And she lost a lot of presence, literally and figuratively. And where the hell is she now? And they kicked her off that couch. I have no idea where. So I think maybe Ron is polishing his act a little bit too much. Anyway, uh, the full interview is on a little bit later. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, so the uh, TikTok guy, the head of TikTok, is uh, on Capitol Hill right now, the CEO. He was warming up for his big appearance. TikTok is very controversial. It's an app. Uh, 150 million Americans are on it, highly addictive. And we think that the communist Chinese are pumping in all kinds of anti-American, pro, uh, pro-trans pro uh, propaganda into our country. And they would never let it happen to their country. Uh, that little, little app on your phone, very, very dangerous. Now, he's putting on the charm offensive. Let's see. His name is Xu Zi Chu. He was born in Singapore. I believe he works in Beijing, educated uh, in uh, the U.K. and Harvard. Uh, This is what he sounds like. He's very happy to be here. Cut 32. Hi, everyone. It's Sho here. I'm the CEO of TikTok. I'm here in Washington, D.C. today, and uh, I have some news and updates to share with everyone here. Today, I'm super excited to announce that more than 150 million Americans are on TikTok. That's almost half of the U.S. coming to TikTok. And that's the problem. I don't like this guy. I don't trust him. He's a little bit too happy to be here. 
something's up. Something is up. I think he's actually I do. I think he's being quite deceptive. Uh, this is uh, here's some deception right here. Cut 33 to connect, to create, to share, to learn or just to have some fun. This includes five million businesses that use TikTok to reach the customers. And the majority of these are small and medium businesses. Oh, sure. Right. Small and medium businesses. You uh, you do all of your shopping based on what TikTok tells you to do. Right. Mom and pop businesses and TikTok. Uh, that's not my experience. Then again, I could be rare. I could be unique, but I don't think so. It's one of those big conglomerates trying to say, yeah, we're just mom and pop. It's like Walmart trying to say, oh, yeah, we uh, we just run a shoe shine stand here. Uh, let's see. Cut 34, please. Some politicians have started talking about banning TikTok. Now, this could take TikTok away from all 150 million of you. I'll be testifying before Congress later this week to share all that we're doing to protect Americans using the app and deliver on our mission to inspire creativity and to bring joy. Now, uh, inspire creativity and bring joy. Uh, I think it brings on misery. Number one, have you seen these TikTok challenges? They got all these ludicrous TikTok challenges that actually go viral and kids try to do them. Everything from choke yourself to you faint to uh, surf on the top of a subway car to drink seawater. This is crazy stuff, and kids do it. And the version in America, like you heard earlier on 60 Minutes, it's not the version that they have in China. That stuff is all educational over there. Uh, most of the content, to me, seems um, depraved and harmful. Depraved, yeah, depraved, especially for children, all right? I mean, look, once you're an adult, hey, you're an adult, all right? But when you're in eighth grade and you're looking at some of this stuff, um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Can I? Oh, now he's on Capitol Hill right now. How did he do? This is Shu Zi Chu on Capitol Hill just a little while ago. Go ahead. Yeah. Now, there's still some work to do. We have legacy U.S. data sitting in our servers in Virginia and in Singapore. We're deleting those, and we expect that to be complete this year. When that is done, all protected U.S. data will be under the protection of U.S. law and under the control of the U.S.-led security team. This eliminates the concern that some of you have shared with me that TikTok user data can be subject to Chinese law. This goes further, by the way, than what any other company in our industry have done. We will also provide unprecedented transparency and security for the source code for the TikTok app and recommendation engine. Third-party validators like Oracle and others will review and validate our source code and algorithms. This will help ensure the integrity of the code that powers what Americans see on our app. Now, this... Hmm, I don't know. Kind of a fast-talking salesman, if you ask me. Uh, where the hell's the data going to be? Bottom line, I don't care where they put the data. They keep emphasizing it's going to be in America. It's going to be in America. But what they could not assure Senator Josh Hawley not all that long ago was that uh, members of the Communist Party could not access that data. Uh, they, they, they were very cute. They were saying things like, uh, well, here, here, here he is. This is Josh Hawley. You know who this guy is? Keep an eye on him. Republican of Missouri, United States Senator, very sharp, and I just uh, I think he's really wise, and it's a credit to our country that this guy's serving in the U.S. Senate. Here he is taking on the COO, the chief operating officer of TikTok, um, some woman named Vanessa. Cut 30.
Are there members of the Chinese Communist Party employed by TikTok and ByteDance, yes or no? I wouldn't be able to tell you the political affiliation of any individual. What I can tell you is how much we're investing. No, membership in the Communist Chinese Party is not exactly well like membership in the Democrat Party. Controls. So I'm, I'm looking for an answer. You, you so, tell me you don't know. TikTok doesn't know. I'm, I, here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that our U.S. and Singapore leadership, there are no CCP members. I can tell you. So you that do know that, but, you, but you're telling me that you don't know if there are any members who are employed by TikTok? or ByteDance, members of the Chinese Communist Party? Senator, I am happy to share that we are putting access control. That's not my question. My question well is, that's not my question. My question is, are there any TikTok employees or ByteDance members, uh, employees, members of the Chinese Communist Party? Yes or no? Senator, I'm saying nobody could sit up here and give you so that So you answer. don't know? You're saying you don't know. You do know your leadership isn't, but you don't know about your employees. Is that your testimony? I know that everyone who makes a strategic decision at ah. this platform is not a member of the CCP. A strategic Correct. decision. Okay. How about that? She's being cute. She's being cute. She's being evasive. Very, very evasive, and I don't like that. Neither does Josh Hawley. All right. Take care of this, sir. Cut 31. What I do know is you won't give me straight answers to your to my questions, and the reason I think is pretty clear because your company has a lot to hide. You're a walking security nightmare, and for every American who uses this app, I'm concerned. I love it. I love that guy. Really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. All right, I'm turning around some sound here. Looks like uh, the TikTok CEO is having his rear end handed to him. And uh, couldn't it be happening to a nicer guy? Let's go to Sandra, one of our favorites, of course, in New Jersey. Hello. Oh, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Um, I wanted to mention that I saw that documentary last night, Gotham. And after seeing that documentary, I don't think this current administration is capable of doing what your father did, Mayor Giuliani, uh, Bloomberg, and Joe Klein. They were a team. They were brilliant. I don't see it happening again. Uh, that's what I think. Well, uh, I totally agree. Uh, these guys are, what's the word, uh, stupid and unexperienced. <laughs> and uh, what does Eric Adams know how to do? He knows how to stand on a flight of steps and complain and uh, you know, call attention to himself <laughs> so people will recognize him. And when they walk into the voting booth, uh, they'll think, oh, yeah, I remember that guy, sharp-looking guy on TV. Sure, what the hell? That's uh, that's about as deep as it gets. And it's really, really, uh, it's it's unfortunate for, for all of us. The New York is dying. There are easier, better places to live. I hate to say that as somebody who uh fond of New York always, but I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But, uh, Sandra, thank you. Andrew, haven't heard from you in a while. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, I'm watching the a lot of the hearing, and I'm actually working part-time for C-SPAN, but hopefully now I'm not fired, but I do a lot of the book TV. But what do you think if I recommend your book? They'll probably shoot that down because they usually cover only left-wing books. Eh, I don't know about that. So C-SPAN, they're actually – I like that guy, Brian Lamb. He runs C-SPAN. And uh, they had a buddy of mine on C-SPAN not too long ago, a guy named James Rosen. Uh, Newsmax White House correspondent. I've known him for about 20 years. Brilliant guy. And he just wrote a book about Justice Antonin Scalia, the late Antonin Scalia. Uh, don't, it's called Scalia, and I think The Rise of Antonin Scalia. I forgot what the subtitle is. 
I have not picked my copy up yet. I will. As a matter of fact, I should order it right now. Uh, I saw the interview. He is uh, just an amazing uh, justice, was an amazing justice, uh, very charismatic, had friends who were liberals, uh, had nine kids. One is in the military. One's a writer. Um, he comes from Queens, grew up in Queens, in Elmhurst, I believe. And anyway, uh, my friend James wrote that book. And I, I don't know what James's politics are, but uh, Scalia certainly was a conservative. And C-SPAN did the book. C-SPAN had him on, and they talked to him. I think it was Susan Swain or Connie Swain or one of those. So anyway, so you're part-time, uh, you're part-timing there. They probably don't want you talking about that on the radio, but that's okay. What else, Andrew? Anything else? Yeah, two things. With the um, mm-hmm. hearing today, two things that stood out. One, they, they asked him, does the communist government in China control your company? He said, no, we're a private free market. And then the senator, they responded, no, it's China. You're not free. You're controlled by the communists. There are no free companies. And also, he said, we had a video about science, STEM, and there was over a billion views. But it's like what you said, with the billion views in China or the billion views. So it's like the news report said those views are in China. So Look, he, this guy is from uh, he's from Singapore, which is technically a Democrat place. But they will throw you in jail and whip you if you throw gum on the sidewalk. No exaggeration. Uh, I don't know if he really gets us. I, I, I don't. And he seems to be excusing and explaining away uh, the realities of China, of communist China. Actually, you remind me, I got a little clip here. This is uh, Congresswoman Kamek going at him, giving him a hard time, which he richly deserves. Go ahead, Diego, please. General lady yields back. Chair recognizes the lady from Florida, Ms. Kamek, for five minutes. Thank you, Madam Chairwoman. Mr. Sho, are you aware of Chinese Communist Party leader Chairman Xi Jinping's comments in May 2021 during a Communist Politburo study session where he instructed colleagues to target different countries, different audiences with short form video? Are you aware of these comments? Yes or no? Congressman, I'm not aware of these comments. Okay. Well, and as was pointed out by Chairwoman Rogers, you have regular contact with Chinese Communist Party Secretary, Mr. Zhang Fuping, who is your boss at ByteDance, correct? No. 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 He's neither my boss, nor do we have frequent contact. But you have regular contact with ByteDance. Uh, with uh, the CEO of ByteDance. Who is... Mr. Zhang Fuping is the editor-in-chief. He's not. My colleague, Representative Burgess, uh, a few minutes ago exposed that TikTok and ByteDance share legal teams. You confirmed this, correct? Our general counsel is uh, an American uh, lawyer, veteran of Microsoft. Also, my colleague, Representative Latta, confirmed that your parent company, ByteDance, currently can access user data. Yes? Let's, uh, we have to be more specific. Um, Yes, after you Project say, Texas, no. I'm not asking after Project Texas. I'm asking now. Yes. Some user data is public data, Congresswoman, which so means everybody can search. What's for interesting to me is that you have used the word transparency over a half a dozen times in your opening testimony and subsequently again in your answers to my colleagues. Yet the interesting thing to me is that ByteDance, your parent company, has gone out of their way to hide an airbrush corporate structure ties to the CCP, the company's founder, and their activities. You can look no further than the fact that ByteDance website has been scrubbed. 
In fact, we found web pages from the Beijing Internet Association, the industry association charged with Communist Party building uh, work of Internet companies in Beijing. They have been archived but since deleted. Makes you kind of wonder why. Yes or no, ByteDance is required to have a member of the Chinese government on its board with veto power. Is that correct? No, that is not correct. Uh, ByteDance owns some Chinese businesses, and you're talking about this very special subsidiary that is Mr. for Sho, Chinese business licensing. Mr. Sho, I'm going to have to move on. You've said repeatedly that there is no threat, that this is an inter a platform for entertainment and for fun. I have to ask you then, if there is no threat to Americans, if there is no threat to our data, privacy, security, why did an internal memo from TikTok corporate headquarters explicitly coach senior management to, quote, downplay the parent company ByteDance? Why would they say downplay the China Association and downplay AI? This is from an internal memo from your company. Why, if you had nothing to hide, would you need to downplay the association with ByteDance in China? Congressman, I have not seen this you memo. You can't answer can that question. Mr. Sho, I'd like to direct your attention to the screen for a short video, if you don't mind. Oh, I can't see it. All right. Well, you get the picture. Uh, sometimes she's um, answering the question for him. Yes. <laughs> yes. He does seem somewhat evasive, and uh, he did not know that President Xi himself said at that Politburo meeting, which is basically like the Chinese cabinet, Communist Party cabinet, that you need to make short-form video propaganda and target specific countries. Uh, he didn't know about that. Well, uh, that's all I need to know about uh, TikTok. And also... Uh, just remember how our guy feels about TikTok. Cut 35, please. Cut 35. We're looking at TikTok. We may be banning TikTok. We may be doing some other things. There are a couple of options. They're going to be showing me everything in a little while on TikTok. And uh, we have some great companies who want to buy it. And we're looking at those companies. We're looking at, most importantly, the security with respect to China. We'll either close up TikTok in this country for security reasons or it'll be sold. So uh, I had TikTok on my phone, and apparently it's still on my cloud. How the hell do I get TikTok off of my cloud? Where is my cloud? I can't stand this stuff. Uh, but you got to get rid of it, and uh, I don't look at TikTok videos. I have a new policy when I come home. Actually, just before I walk in the door, you know what I do? I turn off my phone. I turn off my phone, and I put it in uh, the closet. And about seven minutes later, I get the phone. And I, <laughs> that's happened a couple of times. But the intent is to turn the phone off and be unplugged for at least 12 hours a day. And if you got to be on a, uh, if you got to check your text messages, if you got to check the internet, you know what's actually better to do it on a, on a computer or on a tablet? It's bigger. It's like there's something about it. When you look at a phone, you have to hop, you have to kind of hunch over to look at the internet you, you know you're you're really kind of absorbed in this phone and when you have a tablet or a laptop just think you're more relaxed you're more open you're kind of you sit back with it it's healthier for you and you are more in control you're actually making the decisions not necessarily some algorithm i mean it's not perfect Anyway, I do think that this is a really, really bad thing for our country. 
and certainly for my children. And I already see. I already, then one of the reasons why I don't want to be on the phone is I don't want them to see me on the phone. What do I want? I want them to see me with a book. I want them to see me talking to my wife. I want them to uh, see me, you know, um, leading the uh, healthy lifestyle I aspire to 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 live. I'm acutely aware of that. By the way, special guest coming up in the next hour. Uh, her name is Annalise, and she's three. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Howard Stern, getting some attention for what he said about uh, media coverage. You know, I love Howard Stern. I really do. Uh, great man, great broadcaster. I know we uh, he doesn't like Trump anymore, but uh, I want to hear what he had to say about all this. Cut nine, please. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. I was watching MSNBC. I said they were going berserk with, uh, you know, Trump potentially being arrested. These indictment possibilities. Oh, my God. It's the same discussion over and over again. They go, it's very possible that President Trump will be indicted uh, according to... First of all, Trump... We don't know, but... (laughs) And then they all come on the air and they're all discussing whether or not Trump's going to be in that. I go, you know, why don't you sit tight and wait and see instead of, like, That's speculating? That's right. You don't have to speculate. This is, see, this is what my problem is with those news shows. They treat politics like sports. You know, well, when a sports, when something like the Super Bowl is coming up, you have two weeks to discuss what's going to happen in the well, Super Bowl. They got, listen, they got to fill 24 hours a day. They got plenty to, to do. Well, Robin is right. They do cover it as a as a sport, and so is Howard, of course. Uh, but they can't do that in the, in in cable news. Just sit tight and wait till something happens. They got to hype it. Um, it's unfortunate how much political coverage is like sports. Who's up? Who's down? Not like uh, not policy, not substance. You know why? Because the policy and the substance, that stuff is hard, and potentially, potentially, it's a little bit on the boring side. Potentially for some, not for us, but for some. By the way, Howard Stern uh, conducted a very significant interview with Donald Trump 21 years ago. This is in 2002 in the run-up to the war in Iraq. Um, And I'm going to be talking about Iraq. It's 20 years ago that the invasion was going on. I was there. Let's hear Howard Stern on the... uh, with Donald Trump about the Iraq war. It's a quick little clip, but it's significant. Cut 26. You for invading Iraq? Yeah, I guess so. That's all we got. Are you for invading Iraq? Yeah, I guess so. Have you ever, ever, ever heard Donald Trump stutter? Never, right? It's the only time there's hesitation in his voice. Yeah, I guess so. He had not made up his mind about invading Iraq, and that was before the congressional vote to authorize the use of force in Iraq. Donald Trump did not support that war. It's one of the reasons why I supported him and support him. I'll be right back. 
Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. For all 13 years of my NHL career, um, I've been a Christian, not just in title, but in, in how I choose to live my life daily. Um, I have a personal faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins. And in this specific instance, I'm personally choosing not to endorse something, um, you know, a sexual identity or orientation that is counter to my convictions, which are based in the Bible, um, which I consider the highest authority in my life. That's James Reimer, a goalie for the San Jose Sharks. And, you know, this story kind of made the rounds a, a couple of days ago, but uh, and I, I know the story, but there's something about what he just said, not something you understand it, right? It's powerful. And how often do we hear that out loud in our daily lives? Somebody at work, somebody who's not a priest, you know, not Joel Osteen, and I love Joel Osteen, but somebody who's not authorized to talk like that or, or somehow we give permission to talk like that. You hardly ever hear anybody talk like that, and it's a beautiful thing. It really, really is, and it's the truth, and it's almost like we've been hearing so much noise for so long, and then somebody speaks the truth like that. It's very, very special. He's not judging anybody. He's just talking about his, you know, you can read that Bible, which I do, a chapter. You can, if you want, you can use it as a wedge. If you want, some people do that. Or you can treat it as the ultimate gift, the ultimate gift. And uh, I'm not a big hockey fan, but I do know this. Uh, hockey and sexual orientation, it don't go together. It doesn't matter. Everybody, everywhere you go, Pride Night, Pride Week, Pride Month, Pride Sports, Pride Hockey, Pride Football, Pride Ice Cream, you know, Pride Oreo Cookies. It's too much with the Pride. Absolutely. Is there anything else to talk about, to think about? I went by a church on Park Avenue. It's festooned with the gay Pride flag. I don't think that has much to do with anything, actually. I really, I just, it's, uh, yet... Somehow, I don't know, is that the prevailing ideology? You must be this way. You must support this. It feels that way. And Mr. Reimer there is going out on a limb. Wow, look at that. What a bold stand, which it is, by the way. But more and more, that's uh, that's the odd behavior. Saying that LGBTQ is not for, not, not for me. I don't want to, you know, I... And if I do, or if you do, you don't necessarily want to wave a flag all over the place. What about that? Do I wave the straight white male flag? Is there such a flag? If there was, I'd probably throw it away. Because that would be silly. And pride, pride, taking pride, pride. I thought pride was a bad thing, actually. Even a little bit, not to be all preachy, and I have I'm nobody to preach. But isn't it supposed to be kind of, uh, what's the word, sinful, right? You take too much pride, and I can take a hell of a lot of pride. Um, and then I have to be cut down to size and realize I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm nothing without him, without God. And what else about that? I'll just tell you again real quick. And somebody gave me a Bible back in 2012, very special person, and I took this Bible, and I looked at the individual, and I said, who the hell made you such a church lady? When did you become one of those? I don't need this. Are you This is insulting to me. How dare you? And I put it up on the shelf and um, because I had all the answers, right? The Bible. 
That Bible's going to keep me from having a good time. No, it's not. It's going to protect you. It's going to enhance your joy. It's going to all the answers, all the things that we think we need from a therapist or from alcohol or from sex or from this or from that. Or from, it's all in there, I do believe. And, however, well, I can get into a rush. I had a little bit of a reality check three days ago. I don't want to get into the details now. I will, maybe in my memoir. Um, and one chapter a day of that Bible, we can all do it. It's all worth it. It really is. And the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible, the one with the footnotes, okay? That's the one that, uh, well, they're all, they're, it's, it's the Word of God, but I needed a little bit of an assist, and I just kind of, I'm so, so grateful. But how about that? That's uh, That's like the truth, and we don't hear the truth very often. And when you do, it's very, very powerful. Bringing things back uh, back home to New York, to Manhattan, this is very truthful. This was the truth. When we heard this, when we heard all of this nonsense about indicting Trump over the check to Stormy Daniels, not even to Stormy Daniels, the check was to Michael Cohen, written in 2016. Who cares? They're trying to make a uh, mountain out of a molehill, and I uh, hate that expression. Never even actually seen a molehill, but here's Bob Costello speaking truth, and when we hear it, we know it. Cut 14. I am honoring my ethical obligation. I've listened to Michael Cohen stand in front of the courthouse and say things that are directly contrary to what he said to us. My obligation is to bring the truth to both the district attorney and to Trump's lawyers. That's exactly what I did. Amazing. Amazing. And uh, it looks like he blew the case wide open. And uh, they're struggling inside the district attorney's office. There are a lot of attorneys who knew this was a bogus case, even maybe Bragg himself at one point. And maybe he'll make the right decision ultimately, uh, although they are presenting this to a grand jury, which indicates that they've already made their decision. But you may have seen Professor Turley, Jonathan Turley. He's pretty good on Fox News. Uh, listen to this guy. Cut eight, please. Cut eight. It's a strong signal to Bragg uh, that he has really gone down the wrong course here. You know, the old expression that a prosecutor can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich, uh, it's not without its support. Grand juries tend to rubber stamp cases brought by the prosecutors. If, If he's getting serious pushback on a case like this, it only amplifies the view of many of us that this is an extraordinarily weak and flawed case. Uh, Now, if that's getting him to think again about his course, uh, that's a very welcome change. There could be various contributing factors here. The grand jury heard from Mr. Costello, the former lawyer uh, for Michael Cohen. Uh, Mr. Costello said he went into that grand jury and waved around 300 emails that he said that they had not really seen or been fully informed of. Those emails, according to him, contradict Michael Cohen, who's the star witness of this entire production. Uh, That may have left a mark, and they may still be trying to deal with it. Well, uh, there you have it. I think it did. And I guess the grand jurors themselves can say, you know what, Uh, we don't like this. And um, they can feel it. The prosecutors can feel it. Who knows exactly what's going down? Um, it's in the great, you know, who will be great on this in a little while. Rudy Giuliani, the America's mayor, such a privilege to, uh, to know him and to, and to work with him. Hey, did you see the story about the worst boyfriend on the Upper East Side? 
The worst boyfriend. How can you? You know, I can't sleep if I was rude to somebody. If some, if I had a disagreement with somebody, it weighs on me. How do you steal millions of dollars from from women you pretend to like, you pretend to love? Worst boyfriend scammer, accused of swindling one point eight million dollars, should be jailed for life. Says first victim. It's a heartbreaking story. Um, in the post, Nelson Kuhn. His name is Nelson Kuhn conned Christie out of $5,000 and a year of her life with his web of lies after they met in 2000. He lied about being a Vietnam hero, an art dealer, and having cancer. But she managed to get justice when he was jailed for a year, and Christie built a new life and found a loving marriage. Now she's speaking out as Kuhn, 69 years old, is back behind bars awaiting trial on charges of swindling $1.8 million from five other women after being dubbed the worst boyfriend on the Upper East Side. I think he should be in jail for all his life, Christy, who asked that her full name be withheld. He rapes women of their money, of their dignity. And I'm looking at this guy. He's, uh, yeah, I could see. He looks like a playboy. He looks a little Euro. Big, you know, good hair. He looks, uh, oh, what's the, he looks like a gigolo, all right? Christie was 49 when she met Kuhn in August of 2000 at the Upper East Side Italian restaurant Campagnola. She was healing from a painful breakup and was instantly intrigued by the handsome man. The hypnotic stranger said he was an art dealer visiting New York from Hastings, England, to finish a deal that wasn't totally legit but would make him very wealthy, Christie, now 71, recalled. Well, if he'd said it wasn't legit, Christy, that should have been a red flag right there. Disarmingly charming, he took off a gold ring from his finger and put it onto hers. Well, that's another red flag, Christy. The smitten pair then kept the vibe going at a piano bar, dancing and locking eyes longingly. Days later, Christy and Kuhn went out again, this time to J.G. Mellon's for burgers. Not a red flag, but a yellow flag. J.G. Mellon on the... Basically, the first date, that's the first date, the J.G. Mellon's, the cash-only burger place? I don't know. He kissed her goodnight as they parted ways at her apartment, only to call Christy back moments later to claim he was locked out of his friend's place. Christy led Kuhn upstairs to make a phone call as he insisted his friend promised to send a limousine to drop off keys. But that spiel and nearly every tale to come was a total lie, Christy said, acknowledging her persuasive friend ended up spending the night. I was very attracted to him. He was very charming at first, she told the Post. He pulled me right in. Kuhn fabricated nearly every aspect of his life, from dangling investment opportunities to lying that he received a purple heart from serving in Vietnam. Oh, gosh, stolen valor, too? He was absolutely a sweet talker, Christie said. Then he came up with his investment plan that if I gave him some money, he could give me back ten times that because he had this person allowing him to invest, and he wanted to make me money. Christie gave Kuhn $1,000, but the promised payoff never came. Then the enticing storyteller proposed with a diamond ring he told her not to wear until he could, it could be insured. Oh, man, come on, Christie, smarten up. So I took the diamond ring, oh, here she goes, to a jeweler up the block to see if it was real, she said, and it wasn't. Oh, I'm proud of you, Christie. Kuhn exploded when she confronted him, but the couple stayed together? He invited her to go to Europe with him over Christmas? Then he canceled, claiming he had colon cancer. She went to the hospital. They said he had never registered. Then he claimed he was on a private floor. 
There was always an excuse. It's amazing what he conjured up. But to me, I was already in my life, ready to go. I just to abandon my life and be with him in a fantasy life, go to Europe and spend money. Even then, he kept pressing her for money, bilking her out of $5,000 in all, despite the glaring red flags. The following spring, Christy realized that she was missing a $2,000 diamond ring, and she immediately expected Kuhn, suspected Kuhn, who denied taking it. Uh, let's see here. And, uh, yeah, another woman calls, another woman calls. They finally call the police. Ooh, he lied. He lied about being there on 9-11. Stolen valor again. Bad guy. All right, so what happened? Um, mm, uh, they reported the stolen jewelry to the police, leading to Kuhn's conviction in the fall of 2001 on two counts of grand larceny. He served uh, a year in prison. And let's see here. She put it all behind him. But in 2018, he started calling himself Nelson Roth and meeting other Upper East Side women, claiming he lived in a luxury apartment on East 63rd Street, when in fact he lived in a studio apartment on East 80. How does this guy live with himself, huh? I mean, how do you do that to people? And I'm looking at her beautiful picture here with this guy, and she's so happy. Well, fortunately, Christy is happy now. I'm looking at a picture of her now. She's 71 years old, and uh, she looks very happy, but much wiser. Sorry this happened to you, Mr. Kuhn. Shame on you. And uh, I hope you uh, maybe read the Bible while you're in prison, huh? I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The pictures of this guy, Kuhn. Wooing the ladies up in Connecticut. And uh, here's his secret. Here's his secret. Here's that. Well, he's he's got all kinds of game uh, and all kinds of little techniques, I'm sure. But he dresses great. And uh, women love that. He's slim and he's got great hair. And with that, well, you got entree into a lot of places. And with a uh, bad guy, though, bad guy, it looks like if these charges are true. And they seem to be. All right. But that's just uh, background noise. You know what I'm thinking about a lot these days? 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Right now, America was busy invading Iraq. And guess what? I was there. I was in the middle of it. I was an embedded correspondent with Fox News. And I was with the 3rd Infantry Division, the 2nd Tank Brigade. The 2nd Brigade. It was a tank brigade. And I was riding all the way into Baghdad from Kuwait. I could not believe the stuff I was seeing. I just, look, I did not want that war to happen. Um, I got hired in the fall of 2002 by Mr. Roger Rails, And he said, would you be willing to go to Iraq? And I said, sure, absolutely. I've, uh, I've kind of been there. I flew over Iraq when I was in the, in the 90s. Like, oh, you did? Well, I, and I had been to Kuwait. Um, in the 90s as well. It was like no big deal, and I didn't think the war was actually going to happen. Well, sure enough, um, I get sent over there waiting for this thing to start, and I'm thinking the whole time, it's not going to start. I mean, come on, this is so unnecessary. And I thought it was unnecessary for a couple of reasons. Number one, I was paying close attention to a guy named Scott Ritter, who was a longtime U.N. weapons inspector. And I had had my eye on him even before I joined Fox News. And I wasn't a big George W. Bush fan. And, uh, well, listen to this guy. This is in August of 2002. Remember, a U.N. weapons inspector at one point and a uh, a Marine Corps officer. Cut 21. Saddam Hussein is an awful man, a brutal dictator, and uh, he is a a scar on the world. Uh, 
in terms of his morality, he's, he represses his people, all this. None of that is a case for war. None of that is justification for American military troops marching off to engage in combat. Until we can document that Iraq poses a threat to the national security of the United States, we shouldn't be talking about war with Iraq. And how can you argue with that, huh? I mean, how can you <laughs> just... Uh, but they did. They um, they ignored the experts, and Dick Cheney went out to the CIA and said, I think there are weapons of mass destruction, and you better hear it, right, right, right? And he convinced them. You know, when the boss wants something, often the boss gets something. So that guy made a very strong case. And then George W. Bush gets up in October, just before the Congress votes on war, and he said something that really got my attention, uh, cut 22. And this line stood out to me. No. Nope. Oh, yeah. world has tried no-fly zones to keep Saddam from terrorizing his own people. And in the last year alone, the Iraqi military has fired upon American and British pilots more than 750 times. All right. So the thing is, I was a pilot who flew over Iraq in uh, the late 90s, and I knew they were taking pot shots, but it was basically like kids throwing snowballs on a bus. It had no impact whatsoever. Nobody was getting shot down in, what, 12 years, 13 years of uh, no-fly zones. They never shot down one plane. And that seemed like a really bogus uh, reason to go to war. And then there were lightweights like Joe Biden wanting to show, hey, Democrats can be tough, too. Look at us. Cut 23. Yeah, you can kill that. It's just Joe talking and talking and talking. Anyway, no weapons of mass destruction. We totally destabilized Iraq. And as we go to break, actually, let's play Donald Trump, who got it totally and completely right. Now, we'll have to wait until right after. This is the guy who knew what's what. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I'm sorry about that. i got to finish up this thing on Iraq, if you don't mind, all right? Just so you know, George W. Bush, uh, they exaggerated. I think they, quite frankly, outright lied. They knew it, and they exaggerated the threat posed by Saddam Hussein. Uh, And it wasn't just a Republican thing. A lot of Democrats bought into it, wanting to look tough. Uh, And this is Joe Biden. I have now heard he was the chair of the Senate uh, Foreign Relations Committee at the time. And gosh, you know, seniority, gosh, he got, he gets elected senator from Delaware, which is smaller in size than Suffolk County. And this guy, this guy helps bring us to war in Iraq. Cut 23, please. Joe Biden in 1998 and 2002. The only way, the only way we're going to get rid of Saddam Hussein is we're going to end up having to start it alone, start it alone, and it's going to require... Guys like you in uniform to be back on foot in the desert taking the son of uh, the uh, taking Saddam down. You know it and I know it. Saddam is dangerous. The world would be a better place without him. But the reason he poses a growing danger to the United States and its allies is that he possesses chemical and biological weapons. Mr. President, I will vote for the, the Lieberman Warner Amendment to authorize the use of military force against Iraq. All right. Thanks a lot, tough guy. No weapons of mass destruction. None. Zero. And uh, (laughs) America, quite frankly, wasn't that upset about it somehow. I never really understood that. I never there was not this uh, outrage that I think should have been there, in part because maybe who was there to be mad at? So many Democrats voted for the war. Hillary Clinton voted for the war. 
Uh, John Kerry voted for the war. Remember him? Ran against Bush in 2004. And uh, so what do you do when you make a colossal, um, historic, catastrophic blunder that has set us back uh, decades in terms of uh, achievement in the Middle East and beyond? Huh? What do you do? I guess you make a joke out of it. Here's George W. Bush making fun of no weapons of mass destruction being discovered in Iraq after we invaded and so many troops were dying and so many Iraqis, too. Cut 24, please. Those weapons of mass destruction got to be somewhere. <laughs> nope, no weapons over there. <laughs> Maybe under here. So there are pictures of him looking under a couch in his office looking under a chair, looking behind a bookcase. Ha, 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 ha. Like the weapons of mass destruction would be there. And Look at George. Look at me. I'm the president, and I'm looking around my office. <laughs> Everybody, right, those fools laughing along. Now, at this point, I had been to Iraq, let's see, uh, 2004. I went back in 2005, so I was there for the invasion, several months uh, during the invasion, and I saw people die. Uh, I saw people die. I saw George Mitchell, um, a soldier who I, I, I guess, I didn't know him that well, but uh, he was a great guy, and he kind of kept us hooked up in terms of gear and um, food and uh, logistical support, and he was a, an amazing soldier. I also was there when uh, David Bloom died and Julio Parada died and Christian Liebig died, three journalists who were in my unit. At one point, we lost more journalists, believe it or not, than soldiers by the time we got to Baghdad. Um, a really hideous mistake, you know? I mean, at least, oh, we were disarming Saddam Hussein. No, we weren't. No, we weren't. And uh, it's like taking out, you know, everybody says, well, you know, we needed Saddam Hussein gone. You know, the world's a better place without Saddam Hussein. Well, you know, it's like you have a bad neighbor and you want them evicted, and they burn down the entire neighborhood. That's that's what we did, in my opinion. And uh, truly awful and there's been no accountability. Oh, but the guy who called it out, and he did it right to Jeb Bush's face. This is, this is where I said, this man, this is, this is great. This is great. This needed to be said, and he said it right to the face of a Bush. This is February 14th of 2016, Republican primary debate in South Carolina, cut 25 Obviously, the war in Iraq was a big, fat mistake, all right? Now, you can take it any way you want, and it took, Je it took Jeb Bush, if you remember at the beginning of his announcement, when he announced for president, took him five days, he went back. It was a mistake, it wasn't a mistake. It took him five days before his people told him what to say, and he ultimately said it was a mistake. The war in Iraq, we spent $2 trillion, thousands of lives. We don't even have it. Iran is taking over Iraq with the second largest oil reserves in the world. Obviously, it was a mistake. So George Bush made a mistake. We so, can make mistakes, but that one was a beauty. We should have never been in Iraq. We have destabilized right. the Middle East. It was awesome. Just awesome. And Jeb Bush just nervously shifted. <laughs> And you know what? No one had ever said that to the face of a Bush, probably. 
And there it's happening on stage. And it needed to happen. How can you have a war? Well, what about all the schools we built? First of all, shut up. We didn't build any schools over there. We didn't. And that's not why we went. Schools. School. Did you ever hear about a shortage of schools in Iraq? That's just window dressing. They make people feel better. They're consci- ease their conscience. Who are some of the losers who uh, got us into that thing? In, in addition to Bush, Cheney. Who are the other ones? Uh, Wolfowitz? That guy and the, perhaps the most incompetent uh, government appointee ever, Paul Bremer. This is a major, major figure back then. Jerry Bremer, former ambassador to the Netherlands. Hey, of course he can run a country occupied by American forces. He And one stupid decision after the next. What did they do? I think they disbanded the Republican Guard when you can't do that. You shouldn't have done that. You know, uh... Well, I don't want to sound like a, a military scholar, but they made us read these books in the Marine Corps, and one of them was Sun Tzu's Art of War, and they said you always have to build your opponent a golden bridge uh, on which to retreat. you got to give your opponent a way out, and you got to have your opponent, you got to let him save face. we got to think about that when it comes to Putin. I despise Putin, um, but... If we don't give him a way out of this thing where he can save face, who knows what the hell he'll do. I'm, uh, You know, does that make sense? So anyway, 20 years later, that's on my mind. The other thing that's on my mind, uh, because you know what? I had my own close calls over there in Iraq. I did. And one of the closest, uh, really hairy situations didn't happen during the invasion, although that was pretty hairy. But I went back there in 2005, and I'm going into downtown Fallujah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I remember doing this whole big report, and I could barely get it on the news. Nobody was interested, and I felt like such a schmuck. I mean, to be honest, when I was going in during the invasion, the whole world was watching. I mean, war correspondent Greg Kelly was in the front of the New York Times. It was a big, big, big deal. I mean, yeah, there's you know reputations to make here and money to be made. And, yeah, I was kind of I, – I was, I was excited by the whole damn thing. I was. I wanted to go home, but once it started, I'm like, okay, well, we got to win. I want us to win. I don't uh, make any apologies for that. But I got kind of, you know, swept up in it all. And, um, yeah, it was dangerous. But I was on, you know, I was on the front page of newspapers, and they were talking about me all the time on uh, on all the channels. And it was, it was, it was kind of interesting. It was kind of heady stuff. And then I go back in 2005. It's as just as dangerous, if not more so. So I'm incurring a hell of a lot of risk, and nobody cares. I did. I, I got it. T- I just felt like a great big schmuck. Um, hey, we got to do something about this Dylan Mulvaney individual. Dylan Mulvaney needs a re- – <laughs> you know who I'm talking about? Dylan Mulvaney uh, was a boy, now pretends to be a girl, and is the most obnoxious individual ever, popping up everywhere from uh, game shows to the White House – uh, totally uh, obnoxious TikTok videos. And, oh, by the way, zero talent. It's not like she can sing. It's not like she can dance or he or whatever. 
uh, just jumps around and like, look at me, I'm transgender. And we don't care anymore, do we? Is Elaine on the phone? Hello, Elaine? I, nobody ever talks about the danger of smart meters. Have you ever heard of electric utility meters? I don't believe that we have let this story slip through. the. Uh, no. Yeah, it's so important. Because all right, well, right, well, tell us all about it. It, they serve as surveillance tools, and they radiation emitters, and you can't stop the what radiation. What is it? What is it? It's a utility meter on the outside of your house. Yeah, the gas and electricity. Yeah, the guy comes and checks yeah. the meter. Yeah, well, I they don't want to do that. Yeah, they they wait, hold on, hold, calm down. It has like that little. Um, it has that circular metal thing that looks like it's from the inside of a watch, and it rotates very slowly, right? Uh, they don't have the clocks. The clock, the analog, the electromechanical, electromechanical analog meters. Okay. They're the safe ones. They're so, removing the safe ones so and they, putting. You, they're spying on you with this thing. Yes, everybody, and, and I told my neighbors about, it, and everybody said, "Oh my God, my my bill went sky high." They're not accurate. They're fire hazards. My electrician told me a friend of his had a fire at his house. All right, your electrician told you a friend, and anybody else, any other sources? How do you know this? How do you know they're spying on you? Where'd you see that? I did all the research. Everybody, I mean, you do research. It's look under for a few smart meters. You know, there's a lot of stuff on the internet. I'm no sources. Don't say your sources are re is research. I, you know, I, you may be onto something here, but I want to know more specifics. So, and I don't know what companies this comes from. And uh, oh, oh, hold on, I got a special visitor. All right, just tell me real quick the rest of that. All right? Do you know any of those? Uh, can you answer any of those questions? They're getting kickbacks for. I just want to. All right, Elaine, you can't. You got to be more specific. And you know, we're talking about. Uh, Real Look companies. Look on the website. Look on the website. Uh, well, the website. All right. I'll check the website. Thanks uh, for calling. And excuse me, I have a very special visitor into the studio. Hi, Annalise. Come here. Come here. Uh, hi. Would you say hello to everybody in New York and across the country? Hello? Hello? All right, so tell me something. What are you doing today? Are you going to go swimming? Yeah. And um, are you going to play? Yeah. What do you want to play? Toys. Toys. You want to play toys. Um, what about ice cream? Yeah. You want to play ice cream? Yeah. All right. Hey, do you miss your sister? Yeah. What's her name? Madeline. Mm, Madeline. Are you going to stop pushing her? Nope. What? We don't like that. You've been put. You've been. You can be very mean to her. We can't have yeah. that. No. Nope. You be nice to her next time, right? Yeah. You sure about that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, how's uh, how's Grandma and Grandpa, or as we call them, uh, uh, Mama and Ray? How are they? How are they? All right. You are one scintillating interview. I love it. Okay. I'm gonna put you over there. Thank you very much. I have to deal with this child, and I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And, uh, it's about to be the Rudy Giuliani show in just a couple of minutes, but we got a special preview with America's mayor right now. Rudy Giuliani, welcome, and how are you? I, I want I want that little girl back on. <laughs> She's adorable, Greg. Annalise, thank you so much. Three years old. Hey, you were just telling me, uh, what's going on with, uh, there's well, a complaint? It sounds like a, a complaint has been filed with the Bar Association by at least uh, Tacopino and maybe Dershowitz also against Bragg for uh, violating uh, his oath as a lawyer. 
And I think it encompasses not just the Trump case, but what we talked about earlier, that he, on January 1st, he took an oath of office to enforce the law, and then he put out a document saying, I won't enforce the law. (laughs) Half the laws, I won't enforce. I never thought of it that way. So, yeah, he takes an oath, and everybody has to take an oath to support and defend the Constitution, not only of the United States, but I think the state of New York. Yeah, the laws, yeah. The laws. And the first day he said, what laws did he say? how, How about armed robbery? I'll take armed robbery, and I'll knock it down to a misdemeanor or no crime if the gun isn't used. So you get a bunch of free armed robberies until you shoot somebody. And that's not, obviously, he's not a legislator, and he's not the governor. He's supposed to execute the laws, yeah. not, not the, write them. The other one, uh, I won't enforce resisting arrest, which means every cop can get the heck kick out of him, and nothing's going to happen. What do you make of him, by the way, Bragg? I, I, what, what's your sense? I think he's a creature of Marxist education left-wing education, anti-white education, and then financed by George Soros. So he's no different than the 50, I don't know how many there are, maybe 60 of these prosecutors all over the country. They're the ones who let all the rioters go free. I mean, how did all of them go free? Because all of them were in jurisdictions with Soros-backed prosecutors who, they're not, these people don't even have backgrounds as prosecutors. They usually like people that come from these defense funds that try to get criminals out. Hmm. So they're criminal advocates who become DAs. What about this? I, I'm, I'm sensing, I, I want to believe that Bragg may be getting cold feet. He's not ready for this kind of attention. He's got some issues of his own. You just mentioned some of them, and there are even some other things. And he would rather just kind of see this thing go away at this point. I have a feeling he got pushed into this. Remember, he originally wasn't going to prosecute Trump. And somehow he got pushed in, into this, maybe by Letitia James, who promised to have him prosecuted, mm-hmm. maybe by the National Democratic Party to take emphasis off the... So so Miranda Devine uh, today reveals that there may be an FBI mole for four years for the Bidens, maybe five years. That's a big revelation. You can sit on that with a story like Bragg. I saw that piece. So uh, how? tell me a little bit, how would that have gone down? An FBI agent was just... Tipping them off, like, don't do this, we, they're, they're monitoring you? What, what kind of information was they he getting? They were getting information for Russians uh, uh, and for Chinese about uh, the investigation of Russian and Chinese. And it, it directly involves James and, and, and Hunter. And, uh, but it's part of, the whole, part of the whole situation because uh, Hunter describes that 50% of everything he earned for 30 years went to his dad. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's no doubt that... And then you have Bobulinski and Gillier saying he was involved in getting money. And that, you've been in this case before, that text message, you know, that's evidence. It's evidence. It's now you an could, admission. It's an of admission. You can, you can dispute it. Right, you can dispute it, but it's nevertheless, it was stated, he said he complained to his daughter in a text message in the now verified laptop that he had to give half of his income to his dad. Like Cohen's information is evidence, and Costello's rebuts it and says it's untrue. Hey, that's also evidence. By the way. Costello, Bob Costello, what a hero in all this in my book. When he he, he spoke the truth, a lot of he's not a household name in New York. Tell us a little bit about who they are. Well, Bob is. Bob is a graduate of Notre Dame and Fordham Law School. He he was my student assistant a hundred years ago <laughs> in the U.S. Attorney's Office. He then went on to have a great career. He was the chief of the criminal division, not when I was U.S. attorney, under a different U.S. attorney, very distinguished assistant U.S. attorney, represented George Steinbrenner, <laughs> represented Leona Helmsley. Uh, has had many high-profile cases, just not 
as you say, a lot of the lawyers are not, like Tacopino was a household name, maybe a little better known than Costello, but Costello has handled some very, very big cases. Uh, and he, we've remained friends you know, all these years, mainly because we're both crazy Yankee fans. <laughs> and then he represented me. Uh, he, uh, oh, he represented me in the investigation by the U.S. attorney in which they wrote a letter clearing me, which is quite a result for a lawyer to get. You know, um, and also he was the one who kind of, I think he first received the hard drive. And this oh, is I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Of course, he's instrumental. Uh, uh, the hard drive was sent to me. But uh, uh, Bob was looking at my mail then because I was in Washington to help me. Yeah. He saw it. He called me. He said, you know, we get a lot of crank letters. I think let's follow this one up. It was his instinct to follow it up. And then we started talking to him, and then we got the hard drive. You uh, you talk to the president I, uh, I t- every now and then. Um, how is he doing right now? How is he holding up? Remarkably well. Yeah, it's amazing, I right? <laughs> he thrives on it. Are you kidding? I mean, you, it's just like an act. Yeah. I actually said it to him. Yeah. He said, well, uh, he looked at me like I was, I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> He's, uh, and uh, I don't look, you're going to go with, uh, well, DeSantis is, uh, how do you, have you met him? Oh, sure. I, not only that, I was sent there to help him get elected when he was in trouble, along with several other people. Mark Meadows and the president sent about three or four of his surrogates there at the end of the, of the gubernatorial election, the first one. Mm-hmm. He was losing. Yeah. And uh, Trump had endorsed him, pulled him out of nowhere, and he was losing to the to the mayor of Tallahassee, Tallahassee who was under criminal, real criminal investigation. Oh, he's under indictment now, I think. Yeah, he shouldn't have been. He should have been ahead by 10 points. Uh, and I went and campaigned for him uh, for an entire weekend. So did other Trump surrogates. And uh, I, I think that late Trump support pulled him through. He won by a percent. He's a good governor. Uh, I like him. He is a good governor. I don't. I didn't I, like that. I didn't like that sanctimonious remark i never like people like that that sanctimonious stuff yeah. about well i don't know about a payment to a he better be he better be perfectly squeaky clean above clean i'm telling you that that is a sanctimonious statement he's turning some people off i tell you i think he's uh he may not be ready and i think what's the rush what is the rush uh but I don't know. I feel like the powers that be, it's kind of like 2016 all over again. They want Jeb. But this is like, he's like the 2024 Jeb. Does that make I sense? I think that's very interesting. You said to me earlier, you know, with Ted and we were both laughing, thinking you have something there. That, uh, four pages today devoted to him in the post. So he's definitely the establishment choice. Yeah. But in many ways, he's showing weakness. He's, now he's got two positions on Ukraine. Well, that's uh, that's not good. We want clear. We want concise. We want direct. Don't wishy, don't wishy washy waffle and all that stuff. Hey, you're in good hands for the next hour with Mayor Giuliani. I'll yeah. be back tomorrow. Isn't Greg terrific?